Millennium. May the 8th be with you. Because it is May 8th. That's not Star Wars Day. But it's double the Star Wars Day. We're talking all Star Wars all day. Frodo, Spock, Mr. T. All your favorites are coming. We're going to gather around the hearth and figure out how to stop those gremlins. I know that we typically tell stories on this show, but Liam and I sat down and we had a we had a talk about this and, and we said, you know what, there just isn't enough content out there featuring two white guys talking about fucking Star Wars. We watched all eight movies, including uh, the Christmas special, the Clone Wars series, the Rebellion series. Uh, I watched a Let's Play of Knights of the Republic. None of this is true. No, that's not what this show's about. Thank no. fucking God. We're kidding. This is pranked. This, this... Pranked. 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 I'm Ashton Kutcher, and welcome. Why was it called pranked and not? I mean, why was it called punked and not pranked? Because uh, it was because it was the nineties. We were on MTV, and I'm I'm Ashton Kutcher. Okay, it was the early two thousands, and it was on VH1. <laughs> hey, what what is this? This is the Media Majors podcast, a storytelling podcast about major media. My name, my name is Tom Lockney, and I like to tell stories about the internet and video games. And my name is Star Wars, and I like to tell stories about movies and TV, and my real name is Liam Sr. <laughs> but wait, Tom, what's your Star Wars name? <laughs> Keat Fenbar. There you go. That's how easy it is to make a Star Wars name. Keat Fenbar. Right, spat, spat that one. Off the dome. I'm donk badonk. <laughs> All right. Liam is going first today. We go to the 6th century before Christ. Wow. Whoa, wait. Fuck it. Wait. Hang on a second, Liam. We're dunking our toe a little deep into history, aren't we? A long, long time ago in a European country kind of far away. Ooh, can I guess? Is it Germany? No. It is Greece. Oh, I like Greece. I like to rub it on my body. Come on, man. <laughs> We're doing a fucking podcast. <laughs> Thespis of Icaria, according to certain ancient Greek sources, and especially Arist Ar Aristotle? Is that how you pronounce Aristotle? Like a, how a dad would mispronounce Chipotle? <laughs> especially Aristotle was the first person ever to appear on stage as an actor playing a character in a play, instead of speaking as him or herself. Um... Thespis was a singer of what's known as the Dithyrams, which are uh, songs about stories from mythology with choric refrains, and it would involve a dirt circle that he would dance around in. He is credited with introducing a new style in which one singer or actor performed the words of individual characters in the stories, distinguishing between the characters with the aid of different masks. This new style was called tragedy, and Thespis was the most popular exponent of it. See, playing a character requires emotional depth, nuance, and the ability to seamlessly become a new person. But do you know what's even harder? Playing yourself. Probably. It might not be that harder. And surprisingly, there's a strange history of actors playing themselves in movies, and we're gonna look at some of the good and some of the bad of that today. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. A little bit of a listicle, but so let's first, I want some qualifiers. I'm not counting cameos or like scenes that are like a couple minutes long. So no Ben Affleck and Matt Damon poking fun at themselves and Jane Silent Bob stripe back. No Three Stooges and It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. No Kelsey Grammer and Entourage. These need to be scenes that are long chunks of the movie, a pivotal plot point, or the whole movie itself. 
So let's start with the good. We're going to start with actually one of my all-time favorite movies ever made, the 1949 noir drama Sunset Boulevard. Directed and co-written by Billy Wilder, who I consider to be maybe the greatest screenwriter ever, uh, it's about an aged, has-been silent film star named Norma Desmond, who was played by actual silent film star Gloria Swanson, trying to make a comeback in Hollywood, and it's filled with Hollywood stars from the silent era playing themselves. Eric von Stroheim, who plays Norma's director-turned-husband-turned-butler, Max, in the movie, Max talks about how he used to direct Norma Desmond, the character, and uh, they show, like, bits of movies that Gloria Swanson was actually in. And they actually... Um, it turns out he did direct Gloria Swanson in a silent film, so they just use that silent film. So he's playing kind of a joke of himself yeah. as a silent director. That's but it gets very fun. It gets uh, better. So there's one scene where so the movie is about this screenwriter who ends up having a relationship with this uh, ac- uh, this actress, this older woman, and there's a scene where he comes down and she's playing bridge with her fellow waxworks. Um, and these are all, uh, it's basically a bridge game of silent film stars. And they got real silent film stars to play themselves, including Anna Q. Nilsson, H.B. Warner, and maybe the greatest silent film star of all time, Buster fucking Keaton. Whoa. Yeah. So this is, this is basically like the Super Smash Brothers of silent film. Essentially. Uh, and what's really cool is they're playing bridge and Buster Keaton was actually a renowned bridge player. And Billy Wilder actually had all these actors, like, just spend a day watching Buster Keaton play bridge so that they could keep up with him in the scene. Wow. Because he was that good. Buster Keaton's gonna wipe the fucking floor with ya. Like, I'll I'll do a story about Buster Keaton someday. He fucking rules so hard. He did all of his own stunts and, like, came up with them. I've seen a lot of the gifs of it, and it's, it's, it's fucking, like... So dangerous. So dangerous. Like he had no fear. A, a lot of like acting and 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 stuff is all about ha- like being able to have absolutely no fear. And like Buster Keaton had no ounce of fear in his body, and he made fucking comedies that are still amazing today. But the uh, like maybe my favorite cameo, not cameo, because it's actually a huge chunk of the scene. One of my favorite parts is uh, Norma Desmond has a meeting with Cecil B. DeMille. And they got Cecil B. DeMille to play Cecil B. DeMille. And he's a director. Like, he's not an actor. He's one of the greatest directors. Yeah? Can I can I pause you there so I can say that name? Yeah. I just want to, like, taste it on my tongue. Yeah, you should. Cecil B. DeMille. Isn't that oh, great? Good. Oh, that's a very good name. He directed a lot of epics. And actually, the Academy has, the Academy has a Cecil B. DeMille Award that they give out um, to, like, directors and stuff. He's Cecil incredibly talented. DeMille. And he plays himself in this scene where he like has to explain to her that they that they won't really be able to make this movie that she wants to do together, and he kills it. Like he's able because he's her friend, and he also directed Gloria Swanson in a bunch of silent movies. Cecil B. DeMille. So at the end, uh, have you heard the famous phrase "I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille"? All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. I have. So that's from this movie, and at the end, Gloria, who becomes fucking psychotic and thinks she's about to f- do a movie when really she's, uh, spoilers, but I won't it's, tell you. It's, it's a real requiem for a dream situation. Ba- basically, yeah, and, and, and DeMille is there to kind of help her transition to this new part of her life, and she looks at him and says, I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille, and it's like, 
an incredible moment. Wow. And he, he kills it. So next is Wings of Desire, uh, a 1987 Franco-German romantic fantasy directed by Wim Wenders. Uh, the film is about invisible and immortal angels who populate Berlin and listen to thoughts of human inhabitants and comfort those who are in distress. Yeah. Um, so one of the characters in it is Peter Falk, who plays himself, actor Peter Falk. He was a 70s character actor. He was in a lot of John Cassavetes movies, and he would go on to become Columbo from the show Columbo. Oh. And in the movie, as the film progresses, there's this subplot about Peter Falk, who's gone to Berlin to make a film about Nazis. But then it turns out that Peter Falk was once an angel who had grown tired of just observing and wanted to be a part of the real world. And when Wim Wenders came up with this idea, it took them a couple of months to figure out who the actor should be. And when they suggested Peter Falk, he called him that day and he was like, uh, would you like to play yourself who used to be an angel? And Peter Falk apparently responded... Well, obviously. I mean, it makes complete sense. Like, it's perfect. <laughs> and Peter Falk, like, in between takes would do sketches of the other actors, and they were so good that they incorporated those into the movie, and they would let him improvise his inner monologue, and they kept a lot of it in. Like, again, he was fucking amazing. I just think that's so cool. Unfortunately, Wings of Desire was remade in the late 90s uh, called City of Angels about Nicolas Cage becoming real. Oh, and he huh. fucks Meg Ryan at one point, and he describes that's, that's from. He describes being inside Meg Ryan as wet and warm, and then you see his O face, and it's fucking terrifying. I could have lived the entire rest of my life without hearing the phrase Nicolas Cage's O face. Too bad. It is the it is the antithesis to Cecil B. DeMille. Yeah, we're really running the gamut of fun things to say. <laughs> uh, so Coffee and Cigarettes is a 2003 anthology film by Jim Jarmusch it consists of 11 short stories uh, which share coffee and cigarettes as a common thread and are you ready for this cast? hit me Roberto Benigni, Stephen Wright, Tom Waits, Iggy Pop Kate Blanchett, Steve Buscemi The White Stripes, Alfred Molina, Steve Coogan RZA, The Giza, and Bill Murray Whoa, holy fucking shit, that is so stacked. A lot of these people play themselves. The Riza and the Giza play themselves while having a conversation with Bill Murray as a waiter. The White Stripes play themselves, but protect, but uh, as if they were siblings, even though at the time they were like either married or divorced. This all owns so fucking hard. Iggy Pop and Tom Waits have the scene together and they just talk about like music. Like oh my and God. and Tom Waits has been in a, a bunch of movies. Like he's an oh, actor. Yeah. He's yeah. really good and he fucking kills it. But Kate Blanchett takes the fucking cake because yeah. she's in a segment called Cousins, where Kate Blanchett is meeting with her cousin Shelly, who is also played by Kate Blanchett. A, a regular Fargo season three. Exactly. And they have a conversation about how Shelly has a shitty boyfriend who's in a band and, like, is really jealous of Kate. And she plays both of them amazingly. And it's, it's really cool. That's fantastic. And then maybe one of the one of the finest examples of this, especially in uh, the large ensemble cast, um, This is the End from, I think, 2014? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is a great example of how act... Uh, being able to play heightened versions of yourselves can... Like meta-cultural humor. Like, the Jonah Hill's character is such a scumbag in it, and he does it so wonderfully. Danny McBride is such a bastard. But what really, what I really adore is that the core of that movie is that Seth Rogen and Jay Baruchel don't work together as much anymore, even though they're very tight. 
And I just thought that was such a sweet way to ground the movie. And it, it, I, I adored Seth Rogen growing up. I'm not the biggest fan. Like, it's a lot hit and miss for me now, yeah, but... I, that, I, that sheen is kind of, like, it's starting, come off. Listen, he makes, like, two, three movies a year, it seems like. They're not all going to be prize winners. But I really think for a directorial debut, him and Evan Goldberg really killed it, and this is the end. Especially because it's based off of a, a short called Jay and Seth versus the Apocalypse. Hmm. And I'm glad that they kept that emotional core of just, like... Hey, I want to work with my friend Jay. I don't get to see him a lot because he lives in Canada. And the movie is about how they've grown apart. I just, ah, it's, yeah. I really, really like that movie. That is, a, I, I'm not like, I, I'm not super big on that movie, but that is, that is definitely one part that I remember really liking was like, wow, like there's this very genuine piece to this movie. I, the, I've always said that the trick to comedy is, uh, is just good character work and having a relatable emotional core to ground everything in. And Tom has left. Tom has left. He's gone. I don't know where he is. I'm very scared. He didn't say anything. He just straight up disappeared. Hello? Hey, Bethany. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Great. Awesome. So listen, the tests came back, and uh, unfortunately, we're, it, it would be too much if penis enlargement surgery were to be done. Your dick is already just so gargantuan that we fear that, that you would pass out every time you got an erection. Um, I could do Monday. No, I'm saying that we can't do the surgery. Okay? Are, are you listening to me? Sure. It doesn't seem like you are, because you seem more intent on doing the surgery. All right, thank you so much. All right, you're welcome. Yeah, you too. Okay. Please don't get the surgery. Um, this is going to be a fun thing for me in editing, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, I just think that's a very good example. Also, fun fact, that's one of my mom's favorite movies, This is the End, only because she was like, it was like watching you hang out with Seth Rogen. <laughs> <laughs> that's very good. Uh, my mom's the best. All right, so let's talk about The Weird. So being John Malkovich is a 1999 oh. American fantasy comedy <laughs> directed by Spike Jones and written by Charlie, Charlie Kaufman. And it's fucking incredible. I haven't it's seen so it. so good. But at oh, one point... Dude, you would love it. It's about a, guy, a puppeteer who realizes that he can go inside John Malkovich's mind. And at one point... And Malkovich plays himself in the movie. And at one point, Malkovich goes inside his own mind, which is maybe the most Charlie Kaufman thing to happen. Yeah, his own brain is, is populated with other John Malkoviches who just say Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich Amazing. over and over again. Uh, so that to me is like a weird version of this. I think it works though because that's uh, you know, supposedly a very good movie. I, I need to see it. It's fucking incredible. Cold Souls is a 2009 comedy drama written and directed by Sophie Barths and it is about Paul Giamatti playing himself as a fictionalized version uh, an anxious, overwhelmed actor who decides to enlist the service of a company to deep freeze his soul. And at one point, his soul is mistaken for that of Al Pacino. <laughs> and, like, it makes someone's acting better. Hey, <laughs> speaking of Al Pacino, let's talk about The Bad. Oh, God. Jack and Jill is a 2011 American comedy oh, film. wow, is that... Directed by Dennis Duggan and Ooh, written by dude. Steve Korn and Adam Sandler, starring Sandler in the roles of Jack and Jill. Really Katie Holmes, just going for it, huh? Katie Holmes as his uh, as his wife, and Al Pacino as actor Al Pacino. 
You see, Adam Sandler has to get Pacino to do a Dunkin' Donuts commercial. Adam Sandler is maybe one of the most product placement fans like in the history of movies. We'll talk about that someday because Well, he's not a fan shit. of product placement. He's a fan of money. Yeah. So he has to get Al Pacino to do this Dunkin' Donuts commercial, and Pacino falls head over heels in love with Jill, who's played by Adam Sandler. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where Jack is pretending to be Jill, and... Him and Adam Sand, uh, him and Al Pacino go on a date, and it's weird. And then at one point near the end, uh, Al Pacino comes in dressed as uh, Don Quixote and like declares his love for Jill, but says there is another suitor that deserves her. I don't fucking know. Al Pacino oh, used to be an amazing actor, and I, I just don't. Ooh ha! Like what happened? What like Al Pacino and De Niro just got old, and they were like, uh, "Who gives a fuck anymore?" Basically. So Private Parts is a 1997 American biographical, nope, yeah, biographical comedy film directed by Betty Thomas, produced by Ivan Reitman of Ghostbusters fame. It is about the life of radio personality Howard Stern, and Howard Stern plays himself from ages 18 to now. Oh, God. Oh, God. How, wait, 18? How? How, though? How, though? Yeah. Like, it's not done very well. Do they, like, makeup or, like, CGI de-aging? Shaved his beard off and lots and lots and lots of makeup. The film was proposed after a film featuring Stern as a superhero character, Fartman, fell through. So, yeah. Also, Stern rejected 22 scripts from several screenwriters until he found the one he liked, which I think painted him in the best light. Here is the fucking kicker and the reason I thought of this story. Ocean's 12 is a 2004 American <laughs> comedy heist film. It stars an ensemble cast as it did as it is a sequel to the first one featuring It's not as bad as people say it is. No it is. It stars George Clooney, Matt Damon, Brad Pitt, Don Cheadle, Bernie Mac, Elliot Gould, Andy Garcia, Casey Affleck, uh, Scott Can. Am I forgetting anybody? Uh, what's the name of the French guy who was in... Vincent Cassiel and Julia Roberts. So there's a scene where Matt Damon's character comes up with a second plan that involves Julia Roberts' character Tess pretending to be Julia Roberts. She has a run-in... Oh my god, that's right! She has a run-in with Bruce Willis and fucks everything up and the whole (laughs) gang is captured. This is a terrible scene in the movie. I don't know what the fuck they were thinking because That's you have such a good idea. No, it isn't. Okay, having a kid. Ca- the reason I don't think it's a good idea is because like, so you have a character that looks like Julia Roberts in this universe, which means that for some reason there's just like another Julia Roberts walking around. So she's pretending to pl- she's playing a character pretending to play herself, and it do- it it's it just it's awkward. It's fumbly. Bruce Willis talks about a SpongeBob blankie. It's it's a weird oh. scene, and I fucking hate it. <laughs> and it just like it just asks a, a lot of questions about the universe of Ocean's Eleven. How many Julia Robertses are walking around unknown of their potential? Is it like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer situation? We all have celebrity doppelgangers like Jay Baruchel for me, and young Michael Moore for you. That makes me so fucking sad. Would you rather it be Paul Dano? Yeah. There you go. Anyways, that's a list of all of the larger part. Like, those are, I think, just some of the examples of characters playing themselves. I didn't go onto TV because, like, we would be here for two and a half hours. 
But the greatest person to play himself on television is a, is Sammy Davis Jr. in the Archie Bunker show, because uh, Archie's su- uh, like soups racist, and um, his Archie's daughter, Archie's daughter's husband, and their uh, friend Lionel, who's their black neighbor, just like fucking roast him while he's meeting Sammy Davis Jr. And it is incredible. And it ends with um, Archie Bunker and Sammy Davis Jr. going in for a picture and then Sammy Davis Jr. kissing him on the cheek and his face, Tom, his face, it's like, it is such a good, it's half of the episode is just this situation. Uh, Archie Bunker had Sammy Davis Jr. in his cab and Sammy Davis Jr. left a suitcase. And oh my God, he says every wrong thing and his kids and Lionel just like are filleting him alive and Archie doesn't get it. It's really good. Fantastic. This story was called Actors Actually Acting. (laughs) All right. Tom. Liam. Tell me, give me, give me that, give me that good news. It's my turn. I'm going to preface my story with a trigger warning for rape. Well, I wish I didn't say give me that good news. That's okay. You couldn't have known. I could not have known. We don't... I, have, I, I want to stress this enough. It's very rare that we know what the other person is talking about. Yeah. So the times where we've both talked about the same things, unless we've said it, uh, said, talked about it beforehand, always coincidence. In 1999, the Wachowski sisters release The Matrix, a science fiction film about a man named Neo who realizes that humanity is living in a simulated reality against their will. In the film, Lawrence Fishburne's character offers Neo a choice between two pills. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe take the red pill you stay in wonderland and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes this is an iconic movie moment he holds up a blue pill and a red pill and neo can take either the blue pill and wake up in ignorant bliss without the knowledge of a simulated existence or remember all i'm offering is the truth nothing more spoiler alert neo takes the red pill spoiler alert The next two movies are kind of crud. Yep. Now, back out in the real world. On June 23rd, 2005, Steve Huffman and Alexis Ohanian found the social news aggregation site, Reddit. Are we talking about r slash red pill? Reddit is a website comprised of subreddits surrounding a certain topic. (laughs) wherein users post links to germane articles, videos, images in return for upvotes or downvotes. Our trees for life, son. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's fairly lax on moderation, meaning that it's sort of an entry-level breeding ground for internet scumbags. So it's not as bad as your 4chans or 8chans, but it's still not great. I was really late to the Reddit game. So to me, Reddit is just the place where I read creepypastas every once in a while. Some are great. Most are bad. And where I uh, look up, like, uh, funniest all-time Reddit threads. And are actually some of them really funny. And then you scroll all the way down, and then it gets weird. Yeah, and then it gets into a lot of, like, slurs and bigotry. 
Um, as such, there are a lot of subreddits essentially dedicated to hatred. There, there used to be like a subreddit that was just about like fat shaming. Cool. It's called That Scene in Love Actually, r slash That Scene in Love Actually. One such subreddit, Liam, is r slash The Red Pill. Fuck! 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 Created on October 25th, 2012, by user PK underscore atheist. Fuck, 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 <laughs> fuck, fuck, fuckity, fuck, 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 fuck. Seriously, though? Like, fuck. I'm already freaking out a little bit. God damn. The following is the subreddit's self-description. Quote, The Red Pill. Discussion of sexual strategy in a culture increasingly lacking a positive identity for men. Fuck everything in the world a thousand times. Men are the worst. I hate what we've done to the world. Here is PK underscore atheist's introductory post. Quote, I'm going to discuss briefly what my intention is for this subreddit. It's to be an evil, awful human being. Did I succeed in fucking flying colors? I'm Desmond, and I've been active in both the men's rights and the seduction subreddits. Both, both of those things make me more sad than Sophie's Choice or Old Yeller. <laughs> They're both wildly popular subs, but both have major failings that I've slowly identified. They both operate subtly under the feminist imperative. Well, Tom, there are four types of sentences. There's feminist questionary. <laughs> feminist conjecture. Feminist imperative and feminist expletive. Groupthink at both tend to fail to grok the importance of coming to terms with objective reality. Something the manosphere... Uh, hang on a second, I'm going to stop this uh, uh, really quick. That is the only time you're ever going to hear me say that word. I refuse to say that word again because it is the dumbest fucking piece of jargon that I've ever come across on the goddamn internet. I have two manospheres under my dick. I'm hanging up the Skype call. I'm I'm hanging up the Skype call. This is a true thing. This is oh my thing is a true thing too. So is mine. (laughs) I had surgery above my butt. Continued quote, something the word I'm not going to say has termed taking the red pill. I haven't seen serious discussion on sexual strategy that goes beyond the pickup. We've heard the common trope in many men's subreddits. Not all women are like that. Fucking not, not all women, guys. Not all women. So, like, here's the thing. <sighs> I've dabbled in dating. I've been single before. I've never once used or seen anyone use a pickup line. Ever. Oh, dude, pickup pick up artistry goes, like, so much beyond pickup lines in just, like... Oh, I know, I know, ways. but I'm just saying... I, listen, I know about pickup artistry. I know what negging is. <laughs> God. But, like, also, that doesn't work. Like, no, the thing about it is none of it works. Unless, you know, it does work, in which case, fuck. <laughs> uh, continue quote, because it's still going. That's true. Don't get me wrong. But something it undermines is honest discussion about evolutionary psychology and society in terms of what a sexual life is like for a man. No, 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 no. Then, then, he, then he writes this like small logic essay. It's, it's like this dumb breakdown of relationship situations to prove that men have it bad. And then the quote picks up here. 
let's open discussion here. Let's talk about exactly what it means to be a sexual man in the era of feminism. How do we what fulfill our needs sexually, emotionally? How do we do so without taking unnecessary risks? What does that mean? In a culture where the only thing standing between you and prison is whether the last girl you fucked decides to lie about rape. These are real questions that I think are being ignored. Welcome. End quote. Sorry, I just have to swallow a kilo of vomit right now. Yeah, there's a lot of um, fucking wackadoo cockamamie horse hockey bullshit. Cockamamie. Perfect description. <laughs> yeah. On r slash red pill. Just, just talking about how, like... <sighs> There's this undercurrent that you're going to get a that having sex with a, with a bunch of women means inevitably you will be accused of rape, which is uh, absurd if you are not raping people. Well, Tom, you see, you know what? I was going to make a joke, but fuck, you know what? Yeah, this, fuck the, that. There's no fucking joke here. Fuck this. Fuck the red pill. Here are the titles of a couple of the more recent posts on this subreddit. How to cool. bargain? Let's do this. Let's do this, motherfucker. Let's do this. I'm ready. How to bargain for power and use leverage? <laughs> That's disgusting. That's abuse. Mm. Here's the next one. All right. Okay. Thanks, Red Pill. You broke me out of a decade-long loop of voluntary betaization and bitchdom. Oh, so we so we got a hand job. Yeah, that guy sounds like a real fucking charmer. Give her something to build a fantasy on. What? What does that mean? What the fuck? That's something the serial killer says when he's throwing lotion in the basket. On the inadequacy of a one-size-fits-all approach and the need to return to a more measured, here it is, Machiavellian frame of mind. I punched my couch. Machiavellian! Like, what the fuck? Like, why do these why do these people think that this is, like, a healthy way to approach an interpersonal relationship? Or, like, even a fucking casual one? Like, what? Um, and here's my personal favorite, one that I've been waiting all fucking day to tell you about. Cross post from r slash vasectomy. Scheduled a vasectomy secretly next week. Is this possible? Okay, yes? What? A secret vasectomy? Okay, hang on a second, guys. I I know that we're gonna go on, like, a big tangent here, but this is just, like, too fucking good not to dive into. So I'm... (laughs) You need to repeat it, because I'm... 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 I'm losing it. Scheduled a vasectomy secretly next week. Is this possible? What did... Yeah, you did it! You did it! Okay. You proved that it was possible! You did it! Here. I know you guys will tell it to me straight. Probably not the best idea, but I'm 38, considering the secret vasectomy two months before I move in with the woman, 36. I have been in a relationship with her for just over a year. Mm, uh, he, he talks about how he's been planning to get a vasectomy for years and being childless. Uh, and, and so basically he, he says, I, I, like, okay, hypothetically, if I get this vasectomy afterwards, here it is. As soon as I get back, we'll be spending a night in a hotel. So this brings me to the sex questions. As far as sex 10 days after the procedure, with no complications and I go slow, maybe doing a few test drives first. Huh? Wink, wink. Will, like, whacking off. Um, will it be obvious I'm in pain? <sighs> 
Will the puncture hole be visible or obvious if you touch it? Do those tiny titanium vase clips ever get in the way? If partner jiggles your balls a little, is she gonna feel them? Is it just completely idiotic to think it will all go unnoticed? My dude, it is cr- it is wildly idiotic. Listen, you're you're about to get your fucking like ball sack cut open and your vas deverens pinched or cut or whatever they do in a vasectomy. First of all, your nuts are gonna fucking hurt for a real long time. You're gonna be in a fucking wheelchair. Yeah, you're gonna tear your stitches out if you have sex. Like they li- like they literally tell you, hey, don't jerk off for a while because you'll tear your fucking stitches and then your balls are just gonna like hang out your nutsack or whatever listen i'm not i'm not a i'm not a doctor (laughs) i am i'm just gross uh and then he tries to justify keeping it and then here's where it gets gross again and not funny um by trying to justify keeping this from this woman by being like well she violated my trust early on in our relationship so really, I'm owed one. Nope, not how it works, my guy. So, I guess on that note... I hope that man sticks his head in a blender. Yeah, coming back to... Yeah, now we're back on on this horrible message. Uh, so what originally started as essentially a forum for loser pickup artists has since spiraled outwards. Since The Matrix, uh, the red pill has always been a symbol of awakening, but in the era of 21st century MRAs, that's men's right activists, it's taken on a more specific meaning. Uh, many men's rights activists will often refer to their, quote, red pill moment, the moment that they decided that men have it worse than women. This is often due to some perceived slight that is then projected outwards on a cultural level. So, like, my girlfriend cheated on me, so, like, fuck women. Um, my, my red bill moment, which is the first time I realized that bills have it worse than everybody, uh, was when I saw Bill Engvall do stand-up, and I went, Wow. This oh, is man. this is tough for bills out there. Yeah, and then the Buffalo Bills. Oh a man, a real rough, a real rough market for the Williams. Oh yeah, like like another example. One of the posts on the subreddit was talking about how this guy was pissed at his girlfriend because he repeatedly demanded that she give her that she give him her phone so he could check it, and she didn't want to. So like, when man, man, like wow, dude. Guys have it really rough yeah, because get, women oof. don't just like let you fucking totally invade their privacy constantly. Fucking assholes essentially this means that r slash the red pill has inevitably become a broad forum for sexists to practice amateur cultural theory to prove why women and also people of color are bad because because yeah guys like there's a lot of racist shit on this forum too but who are these people how can we identify them? Some higher profile folks like Milo Yiannopoulos frequent the forum. Shocker. Whoa. But, yeah, who the fuck saw that going? Twisters. But for the most part, the unfortunate answer is that we really can't identify these people. However, due to some fucking fantastic sleuthing by the Daily Beast's Bunny uh, Bakaris, we now know the identity of the creator of r slash the red pill the red pill patriarch if you will in a post early on in the red pill's lifespan pk underscore atheist our old friend plugs his blog dating american terrible name yeah dating american promotes two other blogs by the same author existential vortex and explained god naming not this dude's strong suit not good at it 
Googling existential vortex led to a comment on an ex-Christians forum, also plugging the blog. The user bio for that ex-Christian commenter has a plug for the user's band, The Five Nines. This is some fucking serial shit. And who is the sole member of The Five Nines, the one-man band? Rob Schneider. Kid Rock. Why, it's New Hampshire Representative Robert Fisher, GOP congressman. It's a congressman? It's a GOP fucking congressman. That's incredible. He's pretty small time. He doesn't have, like, a particularly large... Oh my god, it's Jonah Ryan. (laughs) It's a guy... It's a a congressman from New Hampshire. He's a congressman from New Hampshire and is totally a red pill. Yeah. Woof. When reached for comment, he claimed to not know about the forum, but he did say that he was aware of a men's rights movement. He also claimed he was unaware of what a pickup artist was. And frankly, there's not much more I can say on this topic that isn't covered in the Daily Beast article, and I don't feel comfortable just, like, poaching somebody's good journalism. I would highly recommend everybody go out and read it. It's, it's a fucking great piece. Just Google the Daily Beast, Red Pill, Robert Fisher, and bam, there you go. Uh, here are, however... A couple of quotes from the article from Robert Fisher that I think are pertinent to what kind of people thrive on the red pill. So I'm going to close out with these quotes, similar to what I did last week. Uh, Like I said, these are all made by Fisher. Quote, I'm going to say it. Rape isn't an absolute bad. Because the rapist, I think, probably likes it a lot. I think he'd say it's quite good, really. I want to die and rip my skin off and die again. Yeah, that, all this stuff is like comments that he's made on the forum. All right, I can do this. I'm back. You guys can't see it, but I'm punching. And I'm going to punch these all off. We're going to do this together, gang. Listeners, we're going to punch these together. Are you guys ready? Give us another one. We're going to punch it. <sighs> Fisher Online in 2012 said that a 40-year-old man asking to see the breasts of a 15-year-old wasn't creepy. Punch, 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 punch. He said it was, quote, evolutionarily advantageous and perfectly natural punch knife chainsaw punch yeah man i I wonder why milo frequents this forum huh all right gang we're still in this we can do this all right i'm talking to each and every listener listener look at me look at go find a picture of me and look at me in the eyes we're gonna do this and get through this i love this let's do this gang fists up Fisticuffs. Tom can verify that I'm literally punching when I say this. Yeah. Oh, Liam. Liam is ready to rumble. Uh, here's the last quote. All right. Where he admits to filming uh, sexual encounters without the knowledge or consent of the Everybody partner. get their battle axes out. We're going to need the heavy weaponry for this one. Quote. There is literally no legal protection I can think of that could eliminate the risk of a sexual partner of mine falsely accusing me of rape, no matter what the circumstances. I now have a video recorder in my room. And Got him. Sliced him that's, in half. That's, by the way, a crime. Illegal. It's illegal to film people in a sexual manner without their knowledge or consent. So, and also, here's how it would actually play out if that were to happen. The evidence that he would give in would be completely inadmissible because... Because it's illegal. It's illegal. Yeah. It wouldn't work. Yeah. So not only is he breaking the law and a horrible, pedophile man, he's also an idiot. 
Yeah, uh, th- there, like, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that this dude has raped somebody. Like, it, it's, it just doesn't seem possible that he hasn't. And these are the kind of people we're dealing with here. Um, and they're running our country, you know? Like, this guy, this guy's in the House of fucking Representatives, and he created the red pill! What the hell? Allegedly. Yeah, uh, Congress is not your friend, and unfortunately, neither is much of the internet. And that's my story for this week. So sometimes oh, we talk man. about bummer things like that. Yeah. Ooh. I'm so sorry these last two weeks have been bummer Fs, but I just, I saw that headline and I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me, like a congressman. Um, but yeah, so we like to balance out the rough stuff with some fun stuff in our favorite segment, the self-care corner. Self-care corner. Care for yourself. Liam, do you have a uh, self-care corner for this Yeah, this is our 40th episode. Holy fucking shit, that's right. Oh my god, it's our 40th episode. Fucking awesome. Yo, we're about to round on a year. Awesome. Yeah, dude, this has been been a fucking ride, and it's been a lot of fun. And we're up to 1,130. (laughs) Awesome. Keep on spreading the word. What's your self-care corner? My self-care corner this week is not the stretch that I'm taking right now, but is very close to being that. (laughs) Uh, I I, No, my self-care corner is I learned how to fucking stream on Twitch. Yeah, I didn't check in because I don't know what Twitch is. I mean, I know what it is, but I don't have a Twitch. But I, I, I was cheering you on. Congratulations for that stream. That's my self-care corner is I learned how to stream, which is a thing I should know how to do. Hey, ri- uh, write us a review on iTunes. Rate us on iTunes. Yeah. It would be really great. And yeah, just like, like a sentence like, hey, guys, like the cast. Keep up the good work. Anything you want. Yeah. And uh, uh, follow us on Twitter. Like our Facebook page. Reach out. Yeah. At Please. Media Majors Cast on Twitter. Media Majors Podcast on Facebook. Uh, Media Majors Podcast at gmail.com. If you want to send in a self-care corner to be read on the air. If you want to just say hi. Yeah. Let us know. There are a lot of ways to get in contact with us. And, as always, we'll be there for you. Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major.